And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You are listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast, where we talk about today's issues from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. We ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Here's your host, Wade Lentz and Harold Smith. Okay, welcome to the Patriot Pastors Podcast. I'm Wade Lentz, and I'm joined with my co-host, Harold Smith. Harold, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. Wonderful. Uh, I'm doing great, and I'm excited to be looking at part two of what we had last week. I mean, this is I've just been fascinated by Joe's um, journey through the ministry. All of us have our own journey, yes, uh, but we still have a lot of things in common. And so many times when Joe's telling us what he's going through, I'm like, I went through that. I had that. He's not mentioning names, but I'm like, I know that guy. I Mm -hmm. had that same experience. And so this has been so good. Joe, we want to welcome you back into the podcast. This is Joe Cassida. It's so good to have you back on the podcast with us. And you've been sharing with us how you came to faith in Christ, surrendered to preach. You entered Hiles Anderson College, graduated, went to the St. Louis area to plant a church. You began arguing on the the good old fighting fundamentalist forum (laughs) that Charles Spurgeon was not a Calvinist. And then you come to the conclusion that he is. And then you come to the conclusion that you are too, and that's the biblical position. And so now you are pastoring a church that you've planted, and you told us in the last episode that you understood Calvinism, but you figured most of your church didn't. So let's pick up the story right there and get us in 30 minutes, get us from there to where you are now. And let's, let's end this episode by explaining kind of your podcast, Preach Better, because okay. Wade and I are big fans of it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So by about the year 2005, I had become convinced of the doctrines of grace. And I, I know that uh, a lot of the, the critics of Calvinism say that nobody becomes a Calvinist by reading the Bible, but by reading men. And, you know, that's kind of a, a smokescreen attack, really. We could say that about a lot of positions. Nobody becomes a dispensationalist except by reading dispensationalists. You know, you could say that about anything. I mean, who of us arrive at our positions without the influence of somebody? But as, as far as, you know, embracing the doctrines of grace, a lot of it was me realizing that what I thought was Calvinism wasn't. And a lot of their positions I already had embraced and didn't realize that I was in agreement with. And so part of the process of studying the Bible and uh, Baptist preachers who were uh, Calvinistic was them dismantling my false perceptions of what they truly believed, and also my understanding that I'm already in line with a lot of these things. But really, it all sort of culminated in a series I was going to do in my church where I 
made a critique of Calvinism. But in preparation for that series, I began to realize that I was a Calvinist wow. and that the the monster that I was attacking didn't exist because a lot of it was straw men that I was burning to the ground. The Bible indicates these these doctrines very plainly, uh, total depravity, uh, election, perseverance, substitutionary atonement, et cetera, you know. Right. And so uh, I, become a, I became a closet Calvinist, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I was a Calvinist. I knew I was running in a network of men that were either not Calvinistic or even very much anti-Calvinistic. And so I, I kept it to myself, but I knew that, that I could not pastor a church that was officially in their statement of faith, anti-Calvinistic. So I needed to lead my church to adopt a more biblical statement of faith. So I went to our church's statement of faith, long story short, um, it's the statement of faith I started the church with when I came to St. Louis from Hiles Anderson College. It was our founding document, and it just happened to be the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. So what that means is um, <laughs> when I joined First Baptist Church of Hammond, they give you the statement of faith of the church that you have to agree to. And I, as most people do, looked at a few paragraphs, figured everything was great, and put it away in a file. I didn't study it. I didn't uh, become familiar with it. And then uh, much to my own chagrin, and I confess, I started my church with the same statement of faith without really going through it. Yeah. And the statement of faith I was given when I joined First Baptist Church of Hammond and the statement of faith I used, which was the same one to start my church, was the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. Hmm. There was a, somewhat of an alteration at the end regarding eschatology. I don't remember exactly what it was as far as the differences between the original and the one that I had. But you can imagine then the sigh of relief that I had when I realized my church's statement of faith is a Calvinistic document. And it kind of really underlined in my own heart that, you know, (laughs) I am not changing as much as I am embracing what I've already said I believe. Uh, Now, if you go today to the First Baptist Church of Hammond's website, I think they have a statement of faith on there, or they used to, and it's not the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. And I, I'll admit, I do not know what they currently use, um, but I do know that they used to use the New Hampshire Baptist Confession when I was there. I don't know, perhaps uh, they've since changed. I don't know when they did. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind. So going forward, I I knew that uh, there was a burden relieved for me that I didn't have to go through the process of changing my church's statement of faith. Uh, In fact, uh, now that I was a Calvinistic preacher, I could actually more fully enjoy my church's statement of faith because it's a Calvinistic doctrine, Mm -hmm. a Calvinistic document. Um, But I still very much kept my Calvinism under wraps. Along the lines, uh, along the way, I I had a good friend uh, who was also in St. Louis area who also was trying to start a church about the same time I was. His name is John Kirkendall. He kind of grew up in the camp meeting network of IFD. I grew up out West, more BBF, GARB, uh, IFD mixture. And I'm coming from the Jack Hiles bubble. He's coming from the camp meeting uh, culture. Uh, and But we really hit it off. And a lot of the guys that he hung with were very much anti-Jack Hiles, even though they were IFD. Yeah. Uh, and here I am, a Hiles Anderson graduate. and But we still got along really well. And every every week, his family lived like a block away from ours. We would get together for a Sunday night pizza and he and I would talk about what we preached about and 
and we would have these deep theological discussions. And one Sunday night, I said, hey, what do you think about the doctrine of election? <laughs> mm. And that began to to uh, help he and, uh, and I to, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? And, and we began this journey together, and he ended up being a Calvinist, as, as I myself am. And he left the IFB much more dramatically, if I may, than I did. Mm-hmm. And now he pastors a Southern Baptist church in Hillsboro. And I'm still somewhat uh, in the IFB in the sense that I'm not in the convention. I have a lot of friends I still associate with that are IFB. For a long time, I kept my Calvinism in a closet because I didn't want to get you know shunned and hated upon. But after a while, it comes out, and then you realize it needs to. Uh, and so I put it on the church's website, you know, very plainly where I stand, where we stand on this. Fortunately, my church, uh, I don't know if a pastor's ever said this, but fortunately, my church was very small. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was not a gigantic, explosive ordeal when I preached on election or, you know, uh, total depravity or perseverance of the saints. I, I didn't split my church over Calvinism. Yeah. Um, and because... Uh, most of the folks there were open, learning scripture. Uh, a lot of them didn't come prepackaged fundamentalists who were already adamantly opposed to Calvinism. Uh, so I, it really didn't affect my church in, in a negative way at all because we were small and I had a group of people that were uh, new converts who were willing to learn. And right. and so, of course, you, you lose people uh, over the, you know, I've had people come to my church who were in the IFB and, you know, they see that, that I'm from Hiles Anderson and our church is very traditional as far as our music, and uh, I use the King James Bible, um, and so that would appeal to them. And I would, when they would come and visit, I would tell them right up front, like, "Listen, you need to know I'm a Calvinist. Um, I know where you're coming from. You need to know where I'm coming from." And sometimes they'd be like, "Oh, thanks for telling me. No thanks." <laughs> sometimes they'd be, "Well, okay. I think I think we'll be okay." And and they would, you know understand that there may be some things that they disagree about with me. Um, so leading the church from a Hiles Anderson uh, type of church into a, a doctrines of grace type of church was not exceedingly difficult for me uh, because I had a small group of people. Um, they were willing to learn and uh, it wasn't a, a matter of contention. I, w- I tried to be very careful about not being a stage cage Calvinist where every single sermon is about election and perseverance or whatever, you know? Right. Uh, and I was online very much a cage stage Calvinist. Uh, <laughs> and I enjoyed arguing about it and I had to come to terms with that and give that up. Not in my pulpit. I was not a cage stage Calvinist as a pastor. I, I wanted yeah. to not be that guy that people yeah. got tired of hearing about the five points every single sermon. So along the lines also, I began to continue to read after Spurgeon and other preachers uh, that admired Spurgeon. And I was introduced to expository preaching in the early 2000s. And I myself knew that my own preaching was deficient. You, you get a few comments every now and then from people who have the boldness to be honest with their pastor, like, you know, hey, I'm kind of not getting much out of your preaching. <laughs> uh, and of course, my reaction was always to be offended um, and to say, well, you need to, you know, be open to the word of God. You know, it was all their fault, not mine. And I, I had blinders on. I couldn't see that my preaching was deficient. You know, it seemed like other than a couple of really uh, decent sermons, uh, most of my preaching revolved around 
read your Bible and pray every day and go soul winning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, that, that kind of wears out after a while. Yeah. Uh, and another epiphany, uh, in my ministry that changed my direction in preaching was when a lady came to me and, and she meant this in the best possible way, but it scared me. And I'll tell you what happened. She, she was a hospice nurse. She would attend to people as they were dying or getting ready to die. And I had some preaching tapes I was reproducing and giving to the people. And she told me that she would play my preaching tapes to her dying patients. And that gave me such a jolt. And now she meant it to be encouraging to me. And But I thought to myself, if I'm the last preacher people are hearing before they meet God, what in the world am I preaching? Wow. They don't and need to it, go soul winning, do they? <laughs> no, yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, so, I mean, that just, that shook me. And I, I, for the first time, I think in my preaching ministry, I realized that our, our preaching needs to impact eternity and we'll have to answer to God for it. And it's not something we can trifle with. And we need to preach as dying, a dying man to dying men. And I began to want to know how to preach better. And back to Spurgeon, I went and I, I consumed his material. I read a lot of his preaching. I began to look into expository preaching. And I know that there is a controversy about whether Spurgeon was an expository preacher or not. Spurgeon said he was. So mm-hmm. uh, I think maybe we define it differently than Spurgeon did. Yeah. But I, I remember uh, one Sunday night when I was in Hiles Anderson that Jack Hiles um, was doing it. No, it was Wednesday night. Jack Hiles was doing a series on um, how to choose a new pastor after he leaves, after he dies, right. which was kind of a wise thing for a pastor to do. You know, to prepare his church to choose the next guy. Um, of course, uh, you know, I'm not going to bring up who the next guy was, but nevertheless, um, he said, when you pick a preacher, a pastor, he said this in so many words, do not pick an expository preacher. Mm, yeah. Because expo- he said this, and I quote, expository preaching will kill a soul winning church. Wow. Yeah. So I remember hearing that as a student and I thought, well, I'm never going to be that kind of a guy. And then you read Spurgeon and he's like, you know, if you're going to be useful, you have to be an expositor. And I thought, wait, wait, <laughs> that's not what Jack Hino said, sure, but that's what Spurgeon says. And so I began to, to look into expositors. And of course, you're, if you are looking for guys on the internet, you're going to come across John MacArthur. Um, and so I began to uh, listen to some of his preaching uh, and I began to see what expository preaching was. And how uh, there's different kinds, you know, Spurgeon very much would focus on one verse or even a phrase. Uh, Other guys would would preach on entire books like Mark Dever, I think, used to do sermons from an entire book, which to me boggles the mind uh, or just from a few verses. But expository preaching was saying what the text says and exposing the meaning. Right. And I began to change my preaching around about the year 2005, more expository. It took a while for me to figure it out and to learn and to study, but that's when my preaching changed. And John Kirkendall, the, my pastor friend, he, he and I sort of became expositors at the same time and recommending sermons to each other that we heard online and reading after men who were expository preachers. And so I became uh, an expository preacher, and it's probably one of the best decisions I made uh, for myself and my church. And 
I, I'm not saying that topical preaching doesn't have its place. It doesn't have its place. It certainly does. Yeah. But uh, my opinion is expository preaching should be the meat and potatoes of right. pulpit ministry. Well, it's it's basically just putting the Bible in its context. And and so much topical preaching, it's not bad. It gets a bad rap because it's typically just a text that someone springboards into whatever opinion they want to promote. And uh, exactly. I've heard people say Spurgeon was a topical preacher, but he, he preached his topics expositorily. And I, I agree with that. Um, what expository preaching does is it keeps you from that hobby horse preaching that yes. you were trying to avoid in the pulpit. And that's why I think it's so wise to go verse by verse because it, it keeps you from saying, you know what this church really needs to hear today is whatever's on my heart and mind. And I used right. to get so tickled that, you know, when you were talking, I used to get so tickled at preachers that would get up and say, I want to give you what the Lord's put on my heart. Yeah. And I was like, how do we know the Lord put this on your heart? You <laughs> preached on this two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it, it's, it was so good, Joe, just to hear how you went through this progression. Um, Wade, could you resonate with Absolutely. a whole bunch of what he was saying? Absolutely. I tell you, especially the, you know, the closet Calvinists trying to keep it under a bushel in a sense, that's hard to do. Yes. And, uh, but you failed in the necessity to do that because of such resistance toward Calvinism. And really, again, like you said, a lot of people believe Calvinism is something different than what Calvinism really is. Yes. And, um, so yeah, I, when I became a Calvinist and right, when I, what I tell people is, is that Cal, I didn't come to know Calvinism. I, I feel like Calvinism grasped me and it just was so undeniable in scripture that I was captivated by the doctrine. And yes. when I first was captivated by that doctrine, yeah, I, I tried to keep it quiet, but you can't, No, it's, it's going to come out. You know, and if you're preaching through passages and books of the Bible, sooner or later, you're going to come to Romans chapter nine. Yeah. And uh, it's going to come out and you're going to come across Ephesians chapter one. Right. You, you know, you're not going to be able to dodge the bullet, so to speak. Yeah. And, right. Uh, you can't run. You can't run straight line to John three sixteen every Sunday. Yeah. You have to, you'll have to right. go across John six from time to time. And uh, so, yeah, and you're exactly right. And. I want to um, I want to kind of spend the remainder of our time talking about your podcast. I, Wade and I said it many times. You do such a great job editing your videos. Uh, I I've, I don't listen to your podcast. I mainly consume your YouTube channel. But you do such a great job with with your graphics. Um, of course, you've got a great God given voice. Unlike me, you actually sound like you belong on the, on the internet, <laughs> on the radio. And, uh, you do just a really good job of taking a lot of Spurgeon's material, distilling it down into very manageable segment. And you do a great job of presenting it. I, I think Thank you're probably one of the best podcast web, uh, YouTube pages for what you're doing. I, I think you're the best out there. Mm -hmm. Wow. I appreciate that. High compliment indeed. Well, that's um, just coming from a hillbilly in Arkansas, so don't don't get too carried away with that. But I think you're doing a great job, Joe. Thank you. Uh, yeah, as far as the uh, the it, it did start as a YouTube channel. I had a guy on Twitter say, "Hey, I don't watch video, but I listen to podcasts. Can you you know rip it into a an audio form?" I'm like, "Yeah, I can do that." So uh, I do a video, and then I just lift the audio out of it and. 
put it on the, the podcast platform for the guys who want to listen on the go, but they don't want to watch. Uh, I think the, the YouTube format is better because you see the quotes and you can read along with quotes. And sometimes, I don't know, I like, I like to look at pictures. I saw a need for young men, and there's a lot of young men on YouTube, uh, but young preachers to be influenced by the old preachers of yesteryear. And of course, who better than Spurgeon? And so my goal with the, the channel was to help young men preach better. And I remember realizing that my preaching was awful. I mentioned that epiphany I had about how, you know, this is a, an important work we do every Sunday. It's not just another sermon. You don't know who's going to hear you as the last preacher. Mm-hmm. And you never know when your last sermon will be somebody's last sermon that they will ever hear on this earth. It wasn't long ago, there was a man who uh, was coming to our church on very rare occasion, almost always for funerals. That was the only time he would come. And he was a truck driver. And the Lord was dealing with him. And I'm not sure what was the uh, catalyst for it. But he, he called me and he said, put the cell phone on the pulpit so I can listen to you preach while I drive. And I said, okay, but you're going to have to listen to me leading the singing too. Um, and so he's like, that's fine. And so for a few weeks, he began to call on Sunday mornings. I would put the cell phone on the pulpit so that he could hear me preaching while he was driving on a Monday or, or, or Tuesday after Sunday, uh, he, where he had been listening to one of my sermons while he was driving. His load shifted and he pulled off the road and he went to the back of his trailer to open it up and see what had happened. And the load fell on him. And he perished a few days later. Wow. And uh, I was once again, of course, after the the smoke clears from the grief and the shock and helping the family through it, I was once again reminded that I didn't know I was going to be preaching a sermon that Sunday morning, and it would be the last sermon that this man hears on earth. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's something we have to take seriously. And I began to to, uh, notice uh, that there's just a lot of bad preaching out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my family, we go out of town on vacation and, you know, sometimes you get to visit new churches that you've never seen before. And that's always fun. But sometimes it can be really disappointing yeah. uh, because the preaching in a lot of American pulpits and probably it's true around the world, I guess. It's just really bad. Yeah. What I mean, bad is the substance is very weak and the delivery is uh, very poorly done. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, you know, I think I'm certainly no gold standard for preaching, but I know that I've learned some things that have helped me. And so I try to share those on the YouTube channel. And I'm also trying to encourage men, young men, especially to read these men and let them influence them. And I think a great way to introduce them to that is through video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you've done a great, you've got a great ministry. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, I, I think you also have one of the best Spurgeon t-shirts prints available. Um, your, your Spurgeon shirt where, uh, uh I, I've worn it several times and a lot of times people don't know Charles Spurgeon, but yeah. it's such a catchy look with the way the colors on it are. They're like, who's yeah. that guy? And I'm like, you don't know who that guy is. And I'm, uh, sometimes preachers will say, who's that guy? And I'm like, what kind of preacher are you that doesn't know Charles Spurgeon? But I, I didn't start preaching till I was 31 and I did not know who Charles Spurgeon was when I started. Oh, and wow. so, um, it's given me an opportunity to talk to a bunch of people, just share the gospel, people who don't know 
who Charles Spurgeon is. It's given me an opportunity to shame a few young preachers. And uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I wear it a lot. And uh, I, I highly recommend you get on Amazon and look up your, uh, your yeah, shirt. Charles so, yeah, Spurgeon. How, how does one purchase a T-shirt from, from you? Okay, well, I guess uh, I don't have a link on my YouTube channel um, to my Amazon store. Um, but if you go on Amazon and search for Charles Spurgeon T-shirt, uh, you're going to see one that looks like, remember the Obama poster, that yeah. <laughs> the style of that, uh, you know, there's three colors, four colors. Uh, Shepard Ferry, I think, was the original artist who kind of made this iconic poster of Obama and his face is looking upward. And the bottom, there's the caption, one word caption says hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I took I took Spurgeon's portrait and uh, I like to dabble in graphic design and, and uh, I uh, made it look like that that style of posterized color that Shepard Ferry made so famous. Uh, and I put as the one word caption beneath preach. Uh, and I liked it. I, I put it on Amazon, got a few hits and it's increasingly grown over the years as far as popularity. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I appreciate your patronage. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you go on Amazon and do a product search, just search for Charles Spurgeon t-shirt and you'll see it on the first page. All right. And uh, I can't really do a whole lot of linking or uh, product placement on YouTube yet. I don't think because I'm not, you know, monetize. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so the YouTube channel is preach better. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Preach yeah. better. I'm subscribed to it. So I don't ever have to type it in anymore, but <laughs> uh, if you're, if you're not subscribed to preach better on YouTube, I highly recommend that you uh, get over there and check Joe out. Thank you. I'll tell you what, it has been a great pleasure to, to host you on our podcast. Uh, Pastor Joe Cassida at Maryland Heights, Missouri, pastor of Solid Rock Baptist Church. Uh, pastor Joe, so glad that you're joined us today. Harold, wasn't it a great podcast? Great podcast. I'm so glad you set it up, Wade. Um, this is why you and I do podcasts together, because you're the brains and the technology <laughs> of the outfit, and I'm just the eye candy. We're in and, trouble. <laughs> and so since we don't have video, nobody knows how, how manly I look and how beautiful I am. Uh, but that's really my only contribution. <laughs> well, again, thanks everyone for listening to this episode. And we hope that uh, this is a blessing to you. Until next time, God bless you.